It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Exploration's Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. On with the show. Peterson over there and a cast of oh over half a dozen here via the Zoom for this live episode of the Child Care Bar and Grill. How are you doing, Kristen? Oh, amazing. How are you, Jeff? Uh, well, I'm I'm great. I get kind of um, I don't know what you call it, um, snarked at a little bit by a middle schooler uh yesterday. Mm. Um, um so Tell so earlier more. in the week, I'd been out for, there's a trail not too far from the house and I'm out with Tasha and the two dogs and, and the, the trail goes by the, there's the high school and there's a the middle school and there's like the fields for high school mm-hmm. and middle school stuff. And so this middle school class is walking along the trail with uh, their teacher, I guess. And this is during school hours. I don't know what the hell they were doing. They should have been studying something as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> what, they, what, what the heck are they doing outside? But anyway, we're walking along and it's all nice. And they, they move to one side as, as we old people and the dogs go by and it's, it's delightful. But then um, yesterday I was out for a run about the same time, go by the same group of kids out with their teacher. And, you know, there's probably 40 of them and this just long row up front are the ones that have lots of energy and energy to burn and they're kind of running back at the end are the ones that are like uh oh my gosh we have to walk and and it's killing them and somewhere in the middle i'm going by and i hear this kid 12 13 year old say huh his girl and his dogs left him (gasps) funniest thing he's ever said in his life and i got to admit it was hilarious um so i i laughed along i i kind of flipped them off in my mind, but, um, it was, it was delightful. Um, so I guess I'm just, I'm just there to be ridiculed by the young people nowadays. That's, that's my lot in life. Um, do you want to know what happened to me today? Yes. Uh, so I was driving my two high schoolers to school and, um, I, there's like this stop sign and I stopped complete stop stop because I'm 41 and I do that now. So I stopped And then all this, there was like a girl, a high school girl behind me and she was like so close to me and she kind of went like this to me. And I was like, I just made a complete stop. I'm following the law. And so I kind of got a little angry that she was being not very kind. So I took a left and then she was like on my ass. Like there was, I couldn't even see the front of her car. It was like her, like so close to me. And I was like, oh, you don't do this. You don't get to do this at seven in the morning. So I went slower and it was so foggy out. (laughs) She could not go around me. And she was like, 
trying to veer around me. And then she would get frustrated because she couldn't go around me because there was cars coming. And so I just like slowly went along. And then we got to where the turn is to go to like turn into the turning lane to mm. turn left into the high school parking lot. And she tried to go around me. And I was like, oh no, girl. So I sped up really fast and got in front of her. And <laughs> she was following me like down the road and like seriously so close. So I slammed on my brakes. My whole coffee like spilled everywhere. And I was like, no girl, you don't get to do this. And my kids in the meantime are like, stop, please stop mom. And I go, no, she doesn't get to treat me this way. So as I'm like totally treating her even worse. Mm -hmm. And then she drives by and <laughs> finally, cause I had to pull over to let kids out. She drives by and I go out the window like this. That's, that's <laughs> If you're listening, it was like a wave with my mouth open. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to see you wave. <laughs> next time, because there yeah. will be a next time because she's going to be stalking you now. Uh -huh. You have to really slam on the brakes. So she rear ends you so that, so that mommy and daddy take her vehicle away from her. Um, be so... because you, you've, you've got good insurance and you've got airbags. And so that's mm -hmm. what you need. Yeah. Try, try that, that one. Um, so let's not do a whole episode on old people away. complaining about young people. Yeah, um, okay. which I mean, it's basically what the show is about. Uh, the topic is the school <laughs> readiness meat grinder, um, which may sound a little bit graphic. Um, mm -hmm. but I, I think that's exactly what we're doing to kids. Um, we've, we've built up this big idea that there's some, I don't, I mean, school readiness, I don't know what the hell it is half the time because legally, and at least all 50 states down here in the America, um, school readiness is you have a particular birthday by a particular yeah. date and then you're school ready. They have yep. to take you as you show up. And that's the requirement. And so if we're pushing school readiness and that's the definition we're working, working with, um, I'm all for uh, school readiness because I don't think, and, and in fact, I, I think we may be wait a year after that date for, for a lot of kids, uh, we'd be in good shape. But so what's, what's the deal with this, with this push, this rush? Um, anybody got any thoughts, comments, ideas they want to share? Somebody jump in. Oh, I have thoughts. Well, yeah, share them, Jim. And I don't, I think probably from being in from different States too, it means something different, but I'm in Texas and like the Northern area and man, it is the pressure. Like there are times where I'm like at night, I can't sleep. It is October people. And I'm already like, oh my gosh, they're not gonna be ready for kindergarten. According to what the kindergarten teachers are expecting us from like, I work at a private school. So what they expect our kids to come in with, they expect them to know how to write their first and last name, how to cut, how to glue, you know, properly, um, oh, how to oh. stand in line, how to have banners, how to do this. And I'm like, can we just go play in the magic forest in the, in the playground and pretend to build tree, tree houses? You know, it's like the classroom time and the, you know, and then I know we've all talked about this before the whole craptivity thing. And it's like, I kind of got a side eye because I let the kids build bridges with muffin tins and it wasn't pretty enough. And it's like, okay, but they wanted to build animal habitats out of the junk I had in the art center. And it's like, well, you know, we got to make sure that they can write their name correctly and do their numbers. And it's, it's a grind. I, I think the title of this is perfect. 
because it is a grind and it's like, I love these kids and I feel like it's my mission, like my secret mission to be a secret agent and teach these kids how to be imaginative and play and, and just be kids. And then I feel like the bonus taco is like, okay, let's try and make some lines and, and make them be letters that you can understand. So next year, when you go to kindergarten, you, you can do some stuff, but the, the pressure I feel as an adult for these, these little kids that have been entrusted to me is crazy. And I, they just want to go, they just want to play and build bridges. You know, I don't know why we got into bridges this last two weeks, but they want to make their little blueprints and my kids are making blueprints. They're four. That's amazing, but it's not counted as work to, to the people, you know, the people that are ahead of me a little bit. And it's, it's frustrating. What about it isn't counted as work? Like, and who is the other people? Well, you know, like the directors and things of the school, it's like, you know, I'm in one of those situations right now where it's like, I'm, I'll toot my own horn. I know I'm a good preschool teacher. I know I'm a beloved teacher and I'm always getting the kids to be creative and imaginative. So they'll never get rid of me, but it's also a little bit of, well, what are you showing? And I know we've talked, I know it's been talked about in other episodes of, for some reason, a craft is showing you did work for the day or the week. And I'm like, we don't need to make a paper plate pumpkin. Like they're using their brains in a way more advanced way of making blueprints on a um, whiteboard because it was more cost-effective in my way than paper. And the parents aren't going to understand that it's a blueprint, right? But they built, they drew the blocks and then built it. It was amazing. I was so proud of them. But it's like, is that in our heads, all of us here, because we all have the same mindset. We're all like, wow, that's, that's kindergarten readiness. That's advanced thinking, but it's not writing their names. And so then, and I'm sure there's other teachers on here right now that feel the same pull. If you're in a, in a, in a school of some sort of box institution, not our own, our own home where we're teaching them that you feel this weird pressure. And then, you know, we're using a curriculum that then I'm always adding stuff to it because I'm like, we don't, need to play with a beanbag 10 times to learn our numbers. Like, let's do something more fun. But I feel like the school district is like saying, this is a great curriculum. So use this at three and four years old. It's, it's hard. And so, you get parents, so you, you get parents panicking that they're not ready for kindergarten at three. Do, do you feel more that the, the pressure is coming from those kindergarten teachers in the school district or from the parents? I think it's even I think Instagram worthy moms, I've said this on here before, Instagram moms want to show the picture of their kids. Look, my three-year-old can write their first name perfectly. My my three-year-old is winning being three. What do you got, Mary? I need to learn to unmute. So this is the deal. Every, I teach three-year-olds in a private school. And every fall we send home this sheet that says, tell me about your kid. I want to know all the best things. And one of the sections is because this paper is 20 years old says, what are some of the things you'd like your kid to learn at school this year? Oh, God bless America. If I get another one that says ABCs, one, two, threes, colors and shapes every time I get them and I go, 
can we just take this section off this form? We're a school that really believes in child-led and we have a nature classroom and we, we don't do worksheets and we don't do all that other stuff. But every three-year-old teacher I have get every three-year-old I have comes in with this piece of paper that their parents, that's their expectation. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is because those moms have had the fear of God put into them that their kid isn't going to be successful because they're not going to kindergarten in our local public school, knowing not only their alphabet and how to write their name, but we're expected to know 10 to 15 sight words before we walk in the door. Sight words. I'm just like, all I really want from my little three-year-olds by the middle of October, which we're really coming up on, is so that we aren't beating each other up anymore, right? And so that we are playing with materials correctly in a way that we're not hurting each other or hurting ourselves. Other than that, that's all I really care about. I mean, if you can, if you can get into kindergarten and you can control your bladder your bowels and your behavior a little bit, you're, you're doing pretty good, except there, there's, there's all this, uh, there's all this bullshit going on. I mean, part of it's KGOI kids getting older, younger, or age compression is, uh, is, is what it's referred to as, as it's this pushing down of the curriculum. And we're, we're living in this world where we're five-year-olds are supposed to act like eight-year-olds and, and three-year-olds are supposed to act like five-year-olds. And it's, it's unethical and it's developmentally inappropriate. And, and some kids are physically and cognitively incapable of what they're asking us for. Um, And that's my argument, Jeff, about it and has been my argument about it for, oh, a long time now, because I've been teaching over 20 years. When did our brains change? When did brain development change? If when I got out of teacher college and I was expected to teach preschoolers basically to function in a group without hurting each other, um, what's changed to now? Nothing's changed. Evolution doesn't happen overnight like that. Evolution doesn't happen in 30 years. It's a longer process. So please tell me when brain development changed so much that these kids are actually physiologically capable of learning these things. They're not. It's not fair. And it's harmful for the kids. I'll get off off my soapbox now. Okay. I have a story for people. Uh, so my son who is seven Knox, he has always been raised in a play-based program. Like he has lived his whole life in this and he was kindergarten age last school year. And we homeschooled and didn't do, I mean, we just did whatever he wanted because that's how you do that when you're six. And this school year, my daughter, who is a fifth grader now, she decided on her own, she wanted to go back to school. And so we supported that. And then Knox was like, well, maybe I'll try school. And we're like, okay, like, sure. We'll, we'll support that if you want to try it. So he started school and the first three days he was like, oh my gosh, this is so much fun. Everybody in the class is my best friend. And then he got sick. So he had like four days of school the first week. And then he got sick with a cold. We, you know, we can't go to school with a cold anymore and that's fine. I get it. Um, so he stayed home for the full week the next week. And then it was like pulling teeth to get him to go back. So we made him go back and I cried every morning. And so did he, he cried himself to sleep at night. And one night, 
um, so we made it through like maybe three days of that week. There was two days where I just didn't make him go. Cause I was like, this is not how I want to spend his time or how he wants to spend his time. And so he said, mom, like, it's just so hard. It's just so, it's such a long day. It's so hard to sit there all day and just learn. All we do is learn. And all we do is listen to the teacher talk. And then he told me that, um, he goes, mom, this was like in the car ride on the way home from school one day, mom, I got my initials on the board and I was like, Oh, for what? Like, what was like, he was like all excited about it. And he's like, well, because when the teacher counts down from five to zero, if she gets to zero and you're not done talking, then you put your initials on the board. And I was like, oh, really? And so then, but he was like, he had no idea that it was a bad thing. And I was like, thank God. (laughs) I I was like, thank God. He does not know this is bad. So, um, then he like he would bring home worksheets to do and they were lots of reading things and everybody of course all of the other first graders learned all of these sight words last year so we were like kind of shamed for him knowing three sight words and they were like uh and I think the word it and one other one. I don't know. Um, so we were a little bit shamed for that, but his worksheets that he would bring home for math were like, there was a number 15 and he had to write what comes before and after it. And he's like, this is so boring, mom. Like, this is what they're having me do for math. So long story short, he doesn't go to school anymore. He is now homeschooled. And do you want to know what he is doing for math? He is multiplying two digits. So like he'll multiply 29 by seven. Like he is full on multiplication, loves it so much that like every single day, all day long, that's what he wants to do is math. And he was doing these really boring worksheets that he was like, way. I mean, like the things that he's doing is like third and fourth grade math. So he was so bored, but also feeling really stressed because he was so far behind air quotes behind everybody else for reading, but so far ahead in math. But that's the beauty of like following where a a child's brain is at. Like he feels so empowered and so successful in math. And now like reading he he doesn't care and we're like no we're not gonna push it because he's just not ready for that yet and it'll come when it comes well you've you've obviously failed him as a parent obviously i mean math is stupid who wants to learn how to do math so i mean if (laughs) if you if we look at the numbers we're 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 seeing more kids put on medications to control their emotions more more kids uh, depressed uh when you yeah. get a little bit older we have record numbers of mostly young girls uh cutting themselves and things like that as a way of of dealing with stress and anxiety um 
uh, prescription and uh, illegal drug use at early and early ages. Uh, suicide numbers uh, for young people have gone up. Um, anxiety is through the roof. And so if we're talking about school readiness as preparing them to be anxious, frustrated, down on themselves, depressed little humans, we're, we're doing a hell of a job. Yeah. We're doing a hell of a job. But, but what I'm also concerned about is why in the hell would we want to rush to get them ready for a system that's so obviously broken yeah. and failing kids already in so many ways. And I know somebody's going to, oh, Jeff, you're ranting. You, you hate teachers. No, there are a lot of great teachers out there. Yeah. There are a lot of really shitty teachers out there too. Um, but mostly it's the systemic things. The, the system is failing children. And, and why would we want to feed younger and younger children into that meat grinder of a system uh, to, to, to stress them and, and cause anxiety for them and, and, and not have them learn? Because the other thing that's going on here is that there's very little learning going on in most yeah. schools, if you look at uh, look at uh, reading reading rates and 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 test results and those kind of things, we're we're I mean we're worried through the pandemic. People are learning we're learning about uh, worrying about learning loss. Well, look, if you really learn something, it, it doesn't it. you don't lose it. It right. it stays there. If you memorize it for a test, um, and that's the exactly. only reason it's stuck in your head is so you can pass that test. That's that's a different thing than a real learning. Annie yeah. Friday, what are you thinking? I have a lot of big thoughts. Um, my son, like Kristen's, is seven. He's in second grade and returned to conventional school this year after a year of unschooling, totally self-directed stuff. Um, and it's been hard. I'm like literally staring at the mountain of papers that, from the month that came home, like just random worksheets and coloring sheets and whatever. Um, so much paper. That's the first thing, like so much paper. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, I think about, I had a preschool teacher for my younger son a few years ago, tell me like they were a great play-based program and talking about kindergarten and what, uh, how it just feels like we're pushing kids off a cliff into kindergarten if they are going from a play-based preschool. But her thought was kind of like, well, maybe we should be doing more to prepare them. Like, and I know that I think it always starts with the best of intentions. And I think the good teachers who are out there have good intentions and feel like they also have their hands tied and um, have to teach this content or they won't have a job. And I think in the, I read somewhere recently today or yesterday, somebody put a tweet or something out there in the Twitter verse that um, for the first time, teachers are free agents because so many teachers are leaving the field that teachers will have options as far as where they go and what they say. And, you know, maybe we'll have a little bit more wiggle room for pushback. But I also, I run a, a program for self-directed students and I see kids coming from conventional schools as nine-year-olds who have never played in the rain, never thrown a football. Like they've missed the most basic kid experiences because they've been doing worksheets and learning their letters and their numbers, but they can't control themselves around other children they can't you know they're they're nine-year-olds grabbing toys and and acting you know what we think of as socially and emotionally like three and four-year-olds kind of um and it's just it sucks like it's we've got to have a great awakening because this is not okay what we're doing to kids and um I think we all so many more of us know better than know what to do with that you know, it. I, I get that parents parents want the best for their kids most of them, most of the time, 
And they think school readiness is that, and they think the the academic model of school readiness, worksheets and flashcards and lots of sit down study time is the way to do it because they don't know better. And so I think there are, are things we can do to, to help educate them and bring them along. Um, and uh, I, I just I've been working this week, uh, my, my buddy Tosh from Inspired EC in Australia, I did a, a session on mud play a couple months ago for, for some people they work with. And one of the programs reached out and they're wondering, could, could we do something to help parents understand that mud play is school readiness? And so I'm working on a video along those lines that's going to have links to resources. And I think I'll end up making that a series of, okay, this, this is mud play. This is school readiness. This is building fucking bridges with blocks. This is school readiness. So the parents can see that. But on the other side yeah. of the spectrum, the school districts and superintendents and kindergarten teachers who, who are ac asking for these academic uh, skill sets that kids, many of them aren't ready to, to offer, um, it, it shines a light on them as people who, who fully and fundamentally don't understand early learning or child development in the least. And it, it makes me wonder what the holy hell we're doing with these people in charge of our children. <sighs> well, and that's like we, the policy stuff, right? Like we've all been talking about early childhood, universal early childhood, universal preschool. Can we fund it? Should we fund it? And I know most of us in the play-based authentic childhood, early childhood world are like, very nervous about what government funding would look like yeah. because it comes with stuff that's not appropriate. Mm -hmm. But would it be nice to have government funding? Would it be nice to have livable wages? Kristen, you posted this week mm -hmm. about the wages. Like, come on, this is stupid. What are we doing? Yes, we need the money and the funding and we need to access kids who might not otherwise be accessing these services, but we also need to do it responsibly and listen to people who are actually experts in child development. One of the things about uh, about funding and the cost of early learning, I, I, was, I was reading a, um, this is the kind of nerd I am, I was reading a British economics blog the other day, and they're writing about this. Um, one of the one of the things going on with early learning is, is that we, we don't get, we're a profession that doesn't get more efficient at, 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 at doing what it does, and so costs don't go down. Um, if you have a if you have a widget factory, you're constantly bringing in new technology to make the widgets more efficiently, and you you can drive your costs down, and you can you can pay your people more because you become you're becoming more productive in early learning settings. It's it's hard to to do that. Um, secondary, and, and then on the other side of that, um, we we also keep adding layers and layers of regulation and bureaucracy, and every time something like that gets added, we add another 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 cost uh, factor that we have to deal with. We have to put more staff time into things. And so a lot of the regulations that that may or may not make early learning settings uh, higher quality are also adding to the costs. And, and we every every time we, we seem to change something, we seem to add that other layer of bureaucracy. And so if we could pull back a little bit from all of that um, and create more of a free market, we'd probably do, be, do a little bit to, to drive costs down. What do you got, Mary? So I'm wondering if driving costs in the idea of driving costs down, if we stopped investing in craptivity curriculum that's consumable that we have to buy every year and go ahead and stake that money and put it into a really nice set of unit blocks and a really nice set of hollow blocks that are going to last 25, 30 years. Is that, would that make it more economically feasible to be play-based versus 
school well, I readiness mean, space. Yeah, sure. And you get rid of the smart boards, the $10,000 smart yeah. board and the laptops and iPads in every classroom mm-hmm. and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, you can, you can buy a hell of a lot of tape and green paint uh, for Amen. $10,000 <laughs> and glue yeah. I, and glue. I heard some, <laughs> I heard some teachers the other day, belly aching about glue, that glue was too expensive to let the kids squeeze the bottles and make lakes of glue. And I was like, sometimes you just need to make a lake of glue. And you can sometimes the glue. that's the learning. What you and I've complained about that very thing on this very podcast before. Mm-hmm. I want them to squeeze the glue, but when you're paying for the glue, it's like, oh. right. <laughs> I think that's where we come to the problem though. Who's making all the decisions? It's not people in the field. It's not people that understand ECE. It's not ch- people that understand, understand child development. We've got these people making these decisions, purchasing this curriculum, and it's just this trickle down effect. And um, I don't even know that, I mean, I know there's crappy teachers out there, but I think in all, like most teachers would do the right thing, but there, there's this pressure to, this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Um, I, I don't know how we get those people out. And when you, if you want to drive down costs, that's where we can drive down costs. If you get rid of some of those higher ups who are, who are making the decisions, who are, you know, putting that curriculum in the hands of those kids, we could cut costs significantly. I had someone in our family that, um, he was a retired teacher. He was brought in to just be, you know, on, um, like he would just get a set fee to go in and check on school. He was getting a ridiculous amount just to go and look at schools. Sure. And that's the kind of, that's where they're putting money. They're putting that, they're not putting it in the teacher's hands. They're not reimbursing the teachers. They're not putting it into the programs, you know, to, 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 to the infrastructure of the schools, which are crumbling. They're not putting it into the, the materials for the kids. They're giving it to these higher ups who are just like put pencil pushers, you know, making these decisions that doesn't affect them. They're not in the classroom. They don't have to deal with, you know, the repercussions of, of overstressing kids. It's, it's incredibly frustrating. It's so yeah. frustrating that we can't just get in and fix this broken system. And now we want to make it worse with like, I'm in California and Newsom just, you know, signed that bill for the TK. We have a five-year plan to get every four-year-old into the public school system. No plan of how we're going to put them into the public school, like where we're going to put them, how we're going to get, you know, the right trained teachers. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I'm sure it'll work out fine. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be great. Look, I, I don't want to, I mean, I would, I would recommend that anybody listen to this show that, that has fucks to give about the topic, run for their local school board next time there's election. Uh, but um, you might be labeled a domestic terrorist by the, uh, the Department of Justice. So, I mean, that's something to keep in mind too. You might want to want to step back from that because that's, that's apparently happening now too. Um, Kathy, did you want to share what you shared in the chat, your own self, or you want me to share it? I can share. So our school system, I live in a really small town in the middle of nowhere, North Dakota. So very small community. Our kindergarten teachers expect our kindergartners to be reading by the middle of December, like literally by Christmas break. They want our kindergartners reading. I just run an in-home program. Um, I have a pretty big license, but I just work out of my home and I constantly feel pressure from parents, from the school district, 
from everybody to get these kids ready to go to school because when they get to school, they want them to be able to start reading by the time they get to kindergarten. It's in, it's insanity. It's literally insanity. I mean, some of these kids don't even know how to hold a book when they come to me. Yeah. They don't know how to turn the pages of a book when they come to me. And yet they're supposed to go to kindergarten and they're supposed to be reading. It, it's nuts. It's nuts. It, it, it's, uh, it's, I mean, it, it fits the definition of insanity, I would think. Um, and I mean, I think Peter Gray writes about this, that, that there's by the age of 25, you can't really tell the difference between somebody who learned to read when they were three and somebody mm-hmm. who learned to read when they were 13. Um, it, it's just, you, you, you learn when you're ready. And, and the other thing the research seems to be pretty clear on is when we try to push kids to learn things before they're ready, it actually makes them harder. It makes it harder for them to learn the things when they, they are ready, because there's this whole unlearning that has to be going on before, before they, they can actually, um, integrate the thing into their, their little heads. And so we're, we're really doing them a disservice. Um, I, I wanted to plug a website before, before we wrap up, uh, ChallengeSuccess.org is a great site if you want to look at um, all of the things that uh, high stakes, high pressure schooling is doing to children. If you're looking for for numbers on on kid teen and and middle school and younger uh, drug use and anxiety and depression and and all of those things, that site uh, does a pretty good good job of keeping track of those things. Um, and we're running at half an hour now, which is a little bit long for episodes. Anybody got any more they want to want to go on dig into with this, or where are we at? I just like to look at us as like play-based ninja teachers. Like I wrote in the chat, I think the more that we can, you know, if, if you're in a big box, like some of us are on, on here today that, all right, we'll, 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 we'll do the bare minimum of the curriculum. Right. But if we're enhancing these kids' imaginations and growing it and, and doing that, what better kids are we then sending off to school? Because not every parent can have the luxury like Kristen does to homeschool or, or Annie, I think you had mentioned you homeschooled, you know, so it's like, let's get these kids to a, a different spot than where the other kids that don't have a teacher that feel as passionate as we do. And I think that's this community we have going around here through the, these talks and discussions is so important because it makes you feel like you're not, your gut's not wrong. And I think we just have to just keep bludging forward. And, you know, Annie was saying like, the more we, the more loud we get, the better we're going to be because people will listen. And we are starting to be in a spot where they're going to have to listen because you can't hire anyone anymore. So many schools are, are short staffed. And it's like, I wish we all lived together and we could just open up our own place, you know, and, (laughs) have a mud room and a nature room, which I totally want to hear about more of and like do all these things that we know those kids would be amazing in the world. So it's like, if we each can learn from each other and keep just building on that and be like little secret agent play-based people. So so, you want to start, you want to start an early learning commune? Oh my gosh. An early play-based cult. (laughs) We'll be the next documentary somewhere, but no, huh. I, it, you know, why not? What, what, what would the dress code be? Would it be like uh, jumpsuits or would it be like robes? 
Oh, <laughs> like, can we just wear jeans and a top we want to wear, please? <laughs> that doesn't sound very culty. That sounds that sounds yeah. comfortable. I think it's got to be a little bit weirder than that. I think no, it's got to no, be no, like eyelashes. I think we should wear vintage teacher wear, like like Miss Debbie outfits with. Oh, Debbie got a new outfit. She's so excited for you to see that, Jeff. But like with appliques of apples and things like that, I think that's all that we should allow. Okay. What do you got, Mary? We all need to wear wellies, though, because we're playing outside in the rain. So bring your wellies. Or just go barefoot. Or go barefoot. Yeah. Can we have chickens? Of course there could be chickens. I would would zoom in once in a while. I don't want to live with other people um <laughs> the community isn't my as my not my thing uh time to wrap this up except i did have one question jen earlier much earlier I, I i heard a squirrel you said you said the words bonus taco i heard that too <laughs> and i was like i want a bonus taco what, what the hell is a bonus taco and where do we get them um oh gosh, have you never like gone through the drive through and you'll like order like seven tacos or whatever. And then you get like an eighth one. It's like the bonus taco. It's like the happy in your bag. It's the best. No, no. Where, where does this happen? Bonus taco. Oh, y'all. You just need to come down Texas to Tex-Mex land. It happens all the time. Texas thing. They're just like, whatever. Yeah. Take an extra taco. Take an extra taco and it's very happy. And sometimes they give you a little extra in your, your to-go drink. Wow. Because we can order those now at to-go restaurants. A, a little extra like vodka? Uh-huh. You can get, you can get margaritas to go as long as they're covered lid. And sometimes they throw in an extra taco or enchilada. Mm, that's America there. That's America. Drive through <laughs> alcohol. You can't get any better than that. Right. This has been the Child Care Bar and Grill. Back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.